0: Hey there, product lovers. Welcome to the Product Love Podcast, hosted by Eric Bodick, co-founder and chief evangelist of Pendo and super fan of all things product. Product Love is the place for real insights into the world of crafting products as Eric interviews founders, product leaders, venture capitalists, authors, and more. So let's dive in now with today's Product Love Podcast. Well, welcome
1: over to Product Today. I'm here with Lisa Reeves, SVP of Product and Design at Zenefits. Would you kick this off, Lisa, by giving us a quick little overview of your background?
0: Sure. Thanks, Eric, for the invitation to participate today. So, I head up Product and UX Design at Zenefits. Um, They're a provider of an HCM platform, Human Capital Management, to the SMB market. I've been here for about two and a half years. And prior to Zenefits, I was at Workday the big enterprise HCM vendor for a couple of years. And um, I was there because they acquired one of my companies that I started. I was the CEO and co-founder of a data analytics company based in Boulder, Colorado. And then prior to that, i had had a long career in enterprise software, starting off with 14 years um, at SAP on both the operational side and the venture capital side. So yeah, that's how I ended up here and just loving my time at Zenefits.
1: Awesome. So take me through a little bit more of your background, starting doing some corporate strategy, doing venture capital. What was the transition of product like and how did you get into product management?
0: Well, so actually, I was super lucky when I started at SAP. It was when SAP was just emerging in North America and I had a whole series of jobs. Ranging from like consulting to pre-sales, business development strategy, also had a stint in product where I headed up product for one of our business sectors in the services industry. So services like you know, healthcare, utilities, telco. That's when SAP was kind of focused by vertical. So I definitely had spent time in product early in my career, but then I I sort of veered off for a period of time and went into the area of venture capital. So I headed up the fund for SAP for a couple of years in North. America and in Europe, and then had a small fund based in Boulder, Colorado, a small majority woman-owned fund that did early-stage tech. And what I realized during all that time when I was on the venture side was that I really am more, I mean, I love the venture. It's such a great experience because lots of innovation and excitement, new and emerging companies thinking, how do you develop the strategy? You know, what's creative? How do you grow your business? But what I realized was I really like the operator side of the business. So, I moved back into an operator role, uh, heading up GM of the division for the go to franchise. So like go to meeting, go to my PC, go to webinar, and I was the GM for one of the divisions which was go to my PC and I had product in that organization, responsible for it, and as well as like you know, PMM and also um, strategy, you know, and some other elements. Everything was focused on the PL and really had an, a fun time and really enjoyed that piece of the business. So, I would say at Zenefits, I'm the head of product and you know, UX design, but it really encompasses like so many other things, you know, that were a part of my background and a part of my education. And I think when you come from multiple disciplines like that, you land in products, it just kind of makes it a richer experience because you have appreciation like for, you know, the whole multitude of stakeholders you have to deal with. You still really have a strong financial focus on the business. And so, you know, I have a couple leaders now in the various areas that we have on the Zenefits platform like benefits and payroll and core HR, but by heading up product, it sort of stitches it together. The product piece into the whole fabric of the company. So it's sort of a roundabout way of answering your question, but I feel like I landed, you know, in a good place, kind of drawing on some of my past experiences in my career.
1: Yeah. Tell us a little bit more about that. Maybe first, like what got you, you know, prior to doing the venture capital, you know, what got you interested in product to start with? And then you went off and, you know, did a bunch of different cool things, including venture capital. And then we can talk about what you learned from that and now apply to product today. So why don't we start first with, uh, you know, what got you interested in in product way back when?
0: Yeah, so I would say, um, well, I mean, I really have to chalk that up to SAP. So SAP, you know, it's a huge company now. does a bazillion things. But in the early days, it was product, product, product. You know, a large engineering team, primarily in Germany. All of it was in Germany. And it was a very product-driven organization. Sales, honestly, was like a side, you know, like a sidebar. And strategy was sort of a sidebar. And so I kind of grew up in that heavy engineering culture at SAP. And even though I wasn't directly in product when I first started there, it pretty much encompassed everything that I did. So I would say my bias was always product, to build excellent product. I'm super, super, super sales friendly, I would say. And I love working with customers. But it's sort of like if you don't have that core capability on the product side, the rest of it is just, you know, kind of like a house of cards. And so I would say super early in my career, it was just the culture that kind of led me down that path.
1: And then from your, your experiences, you know, elsewhere, like venture capital, how's that influenced how you look at product today?
0: Well, I would say probably one of the biggest influences is kind of the transition that you see now, and it was driven off a lot of the business model, you know, kind of the SaaS model and the transition from like on prem, which was the early SAP days, into you know a true SaaS platform and scalable and product-led growth, and really the focus now on product taking front and center. And so, sort of, you know, I love that transition. I was a part of it, and I think uh, that gives you an interesting, in a unique perspective because it's so much more exciting now to think about product and the influence that it can have, you know, organizationally, the influence it can have on your customer base, your sales prospects, but also I would say kind of with the executive team changing how they think about product and the value of product. And it's, you can certainly prove it out too in the financials when you look at things like, you know, how efficient are you as an organization? So I think it's like a really exciting time to be in product right now. I always respected it from the very beginning, but now it has like a huge impact on the organization.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's an exciting time to be a product leader today, right? I mean, I remember back in the, the old days, you know, growing up with monster MRDs and PRDs, and now I can talk to product managers and they're like, what does that stand for? And <laughs> you know, so I've seen like that gold disc world to where we are today and, and things have shifted a lot. And it's been great because in a lot of ways, it's empowered product teams and product leaders a lot. And now we have a lot more responsibility, but also authority than we used to.
0: Yeah, I totally agree with that. And the other thing I would say is just around kind of the UX and the design and the expectation that customers have right now. And, you know, it, it's beautiful and it's fun to work, you know, like on our platform. And so that's certainly different as well. And we give a lot of props to our team, you know, our UX design team on that.
1: Yeah, no, it, it, that's a good point. It's amazing how much design has changed. I mean, I know you can go back and think about some of those old SAP interfaces, right, from like. 20, 30 years ago, and what they look like today, what modern software looks like compared to, you know, some of those old interfaces in general. It's just amazing how, you know, because of SaaS, because of the business models that SaaS has created, how much design has been impacted in business software.
0: Yeah, totally. I totally agree with that. And it's just a great time really to be kind of at the intersection of like design and product and business model.
1: Awesome. Awesome. So talk to me about HR tech. What's what's the product landscape look like there?
0: So HR tech. So the landscape is um, well, it's big. It's a huge, huge market. A lot of players in the market. We focus on the SMB market, small, medium business market, and we like to say that that's the other 99.7 percent. And I feel pretty confident saying that because for a long time in my career, I served the other end of the market, which is the large enterprise customers. So when you really look at the engine that powers, you know, our, our economy and what's happening you know, right now it is the small medium business. And in terms of the landscape, you know, you have for sure a couple of really large, well entrenched, I would say, you know, ERP-ish type vendors, which have, you know, HR capabilities, HR platforms, you know, like SAP with success factors. I would say the modern stack is certainly Workday that focuses on the H- HCM market. And I would say in the smaller market, that kind of the SMB, it's very much driven right now by, you have a lot of payroll companies who have kind of acquired or built out, you know, kind of their portfolio, but a lot of payroll companies, because when you think about small, medium business, right, you got to pay your people. That's like job one you got to pay so that's like by far the most important thing so it's pretty fragmented what you see in that market landscape and then you have a couple of um emerging vendors including zenefits that have more an all-in-one platform or we actually call it a people operations platform so the play in that space and then it's interesting too because it's also super fragmented in terms of all the best of breed vendors so there's a lot of um, single point vendors that do things like culture or, you know, one other, you know, just L and D. And so it's pretty, typically what you find is, oh yeah. And the other, the other piece that I want to mention is, and that market is for a lot of companies, it's still, You know, it's still like, um, what is it, a file cabinet. It's still like a file cabinet, and a lot of it's done, like, in spreadsheets. And so you would be surprised. I mean, there are companies that are reaching up, you know, close to 100 employees where none of it is automated. And so, yeah, it's it's a pretty rich market in terms of, you know, lots of opportunities really to – I would say, you know, attack that into the market, but also to kind of get in a core platform and then build off of that with some of the specialty applications like, you know, well-being or learning and development.
1: Yeah, it, it brings something else to the front of my mind is that, you know, you did product at SAP which is, you know, big enterprise software, right? Yeah. Selling to big companies, serving enterprise needs. And now with Zenefits, you're serving a much different market. And it's, it's a hard adjustment between the two, you know, the enterprise needs and how you build product, even in today's SaaS world for an enterprise versus, you know, the importance of things like design and ease of use for the small business market and kind of that self-serve market. They're very different challenges to solve and, and often conflict with each other, right?
0: Yeah, for sure. And the conflict is that it's still, even though it's small, it's still complex. The workflows and the requirements are still complex. But the requirement is that you need to present it to the end user in a very easy, simple way to consume that information. And a lot of it also needs to be mobile because for a lot of the workforces that we serve, uh, there's a lot of folks that are out in the field. And it's also, you know, you're selling to just a whole generation too, where they expect things to be mobile. So yeah, there's still, uh, for sure, at, at a large enterprise vendor, much, much longer development cycles. You know, we're releasing like constantly, like all the time, new features and capabilities. And it's almost like there's nothing we release that's not needed, you know, because again, these are complex systems. And our challenge is to present it out to the, you know, the HR team or the people team or the administrators in a way that's consumable. We hide a lot of the complexity underneath the covers, but you still have to allow them the ability to, um, you know, configure it for what makes sense, you know, in their environment. So yeah, totally different situation.
1: Yeah, and it's interesting, you own both product and UX, and as you're going to, you know, serve that 99.7%, I think you said, right, the, the UX is increasingly important. Because I think at the enterprise, you can get away still with a little bit of, hey, the UX is complex, but we can train our users, we can do lots of things. When you're doing, you know, the 997 you really
0: have to have the UX, you know, tight. Yeah, absolutely, the UX, and we do a lot of testing, we do a lot of user research, we're really careful about copy, because the other thing is, you're thinking about it, a lot of the stuff that we have, there's a lot of compliance, you know, I mean, it's payroll, it's taxes, things need to be submitted on time, there's regulatory issues, and so, yeah, it's it's super important, and we have to spend a lot of time there, and we certainly see that, we're constantly monitoring things like around cases, and calls, and we get visibility into hey you know who's hung up why are they hung up and you know for us it's kind of like a full circle
1: so product you know and especially when we add in UX uh it's it's a big area and I'm sure there's areas that you particularly love right if if you're like me there's certain things that I just love what are the areas you love what are the areas you particularly like to dig into more and enjoy owning more
0: Well, it's interesting because there's really like two pieces of it, you know, when you're over in payroll tax land and benefits, you know, because we have a benefits administration platform, that's a lot of like, you got to stay in your lane, you know, and you just need to execute, you need to do it right, great performance. And I'm kind of wired that way, you know, I kind of like order, you know, (laughs) and so there's a certain sense of like, wow, it just, it's such a good feeling to see like how you stay, You know, you just kind of know what you get when you execute correctly. Now, I always call it kind of the crazy fun side is over on the, we call it core HR. But basically, that's like onboarding. It's all mobile. It's all onboarding. A lot of the innovation comes out of that. And there's some really cool stuff when we think about some of our new products that are coming up, you know, like around collaboration and surveys and stuff like that. So that kind of lets your inner more creative piece kind of run. So I don't know, I don't want it's like I have a bunch of kids and no kid is my favorite kid. So it's pretty, you know, I got the one side, the regulatory side, and I got the fun, crazy side. And I enjoy both of them, but for very different reasons.
1: Awesome. Awesome. So I like to talk about metrics, you know, product metrics. It's always interesting here, you know, what metrics are important to product leaders? What product metrics are your North Star?
0: Well, we're very focused on MRR. So we're very focused around you know, kind of tying out at the corporate level what we're trying to drive. So kind of uh, MRR, we definitely have all eyes on that. And then I would say we're very focused around churn, which is super important. And we um, are also always looking at things like kind of like attach rate. So it's really important to us how we bundle up our our products. We offer both benefits and payroll as a separate add-on. And so we get a lot of visibility around attach rate for some of those products that are outside of that. And then certainly at the product level, we spend a lot of time around usage metrics. Um, We look at NPS. And there are some nuances, I would say, depending on payroll versus benefits versus core HR. So, you know, when you look at like active users, how often they're in the product, it really varies greatly. uh, Because on some of those more regulated things, you know, like on the payroll side, we know when payrolls are being run, we know what kind of volumes there are, which is very different than let's say someone who has a workforce that is constantly, you know, putting time in a mobile app and constantly like on the go. So yeah, at the highest level, it's definitely focused around MRR.
1: I like that you have financial metrics there. I mean, I think product leaders that don't have the financial metrics and aren't comp there are kind of misaligned with the business. But one area in particular that you mentioned and I see less often than I think you should. And it's kind of like a hot button on mine is, is churn and retention, right? And that, it, and that you take that into account and that's important because really, as product leaders, retention is kind of that vote that not only did we do a good job building and selling a product, but we actually are creating value for our end users so that they're coming back and they're continuing to buy from us. What do you think about retention? Should, should all product managers have that as one of the metrics they need to keep an eye on?
0: I would say, yes, keep an eye on for sure. And um, it's really important to us on the retention side. We work and partner very closely with our customer support organization. And so, and we're constantly um, looking at cases. That's the other thing. We look very closely at cases that come into customer support. And so I would say kind of at the senior level and the product team, like at the director and VP level, for sure, they have all eyes that are on churn because they understand how that can impact, like, you know, Top line, and then our product managers are definitely aware of it. So I would say, you know, at Cinefits, we definitely are at the center of the business. So I mentioned before my bias on the sales side. It's kind of I'm the executive sponsor actually on a lot of our larger customers, so very focused there. But I would say we have a pretty good closed loop system with our customer support organization. And again, we have to do that because on the churn side, sure, there's you know cases which are you know, maybe some are less severe, but like when you again, when you're talking about things like payroll and benefits, that for sure you have to have all eyes on that because of payroll, it, you know, it's a very sticky product, and if it's in there and it's not working, customers don't want to churn um, and move off payroll. It is a huge, huge hassle. So it's really important to us that we have all eyes on that. So early, early warning signs, you know, and we can determine where we're going.
1: So one thing I wanted to talk to you about was communication, right? So product leaders, product managers, they have this tough role of dealing with lots of stakeholders, keeping business goals in mind. Talk to me about how your product managers and product managers in general can better communicate with stakeholders, whether it's customer success, like you were just talking about, executive teams, sales, engineering, and, and make sure they're keeping their goals in mind, those business goals, those metrics.
0: Yeah, so we're a pretty transparent organization. So we definitely have formality around, you know, a couple of set meetings on an ongoing basis that we always you know have on the calendar and we actually schedule out through the end of the year. So we do a very large product council where we do a two per quarter, but only one per quarter is like super serious with a lot of preparation. But that's pretty much an open book where we review our the past uh, quarter roadmap, the quarter that we're in, and then we give um, visibility, you know, at least one quarter out, sometimes even two. And then we typically like deep dive on one or two topics to kind of educate more broadly the organization. These are really well attended meetings and all that information is recorded and posted and anyone can access those decks. And it's pretty interesting because we actually have people that reference back those decks on an ongoing basis. We've been doing this for some period of time. So that's a really successful uh, program. We do an ongoing series of engagement with a customer success team and we also run like a, a voice of customer program with customer success where we have a set of customers that we're working with that are providing us with feedback via customer success around some of the features, large features and large capabilities, large products that they would like to see. So definitely have an open ear to that. And again, you know, we track all this stuff on our backlog. We try to fit it in as we can always reserve, you know, some capacity to do things that, you know, pop up at the last minute or where we want to reallocate resources. But in general, on um, the stakeholder management side, I'd say we also have a program management office that helps us manage a lot of those stakeholders and keep a lot of people kind of aligned and moving in the right direction.
1: Awesome. So you've worked at a lot of high growth companies. You know, SAP was growing, mm-hmm. Workday was growing, you did your own startup, Zenefits is growing quickly. You know, give us some advice on on how you build those high growth teams, how you oversee those teams, how you, how you can... You know, put it together the right structure to facilitate that kind of growth, especially in you know, a product-led enterprise like Zenefits.
0: Yeah, so I think there's a couple things. we And I actually kind of took this from my startup. So we have, and I think we have it in Zenefits too, we have a really diverse team. And I mean diverse in experiences, diverse in ages, diverse in kind of where they've come from. And at my startup, Gridcraft, for sure we had that. And I think it's just magical kind of when you get that level of diversity and that level of point of view. And the other thing is it really helps, I think, around, you know, Ensuring succession and kind of not having a single point of failure. So we do a lot of that um, at Zenefits. And again, I proved that out at my startup. So I'm pretty proud of that. The other thing that we also focus on is a lot of cross training. So I've talked about kind of these areas or pillars that we have around payroll benefits and core HR. But again, this is one single, you know, single code base, interoperable platform. And I think sometimes, what you can suffer from is sort of like you know blinders where you don 't have a big view of what 's going on, and so we do um, some rotations we do some cross functional teams on a temporary basis, so product managers get a view into other areas of the business where maybe they just have a cursory understanding and you know, you got to be patient. You got to allow people like that time to explore. And so we try to make sure that we really carve that out. And I would say the senior leaders on my team, they're super supportive of that as well. And I think the other thing that I really like to focus on, and maybe this is just a result of kind of my outside end point of view, is always opening up like the broader market. So, sure, we're in SMB HR, but what are the trends? What companies are getting funded? What are the new technologies that are emerging what acquisitions are occurring you know all when you think about broadly some of the areas like the super high growth areas and how do we fit in there and how do we play so obviously when you're sitting down and we construct our strategy you know in the fall prior to the year you know like last fall we were doing it for 2020 sure you need all that kind of stuff and it plays into your roadmap and what you're going to be developing. But on an ongoing basis, we really try to, I think, infuse that kind of knowledge into the product and UX organization because it just makes everyone more aware of what's happening externally.
1: And, and what about hiring? What do you look for in the product leaders you hire and, and the UX leaders you hire? And then maybe, you know, taking that down a level and what do you want them to look for or, or you look for in the product managers and designers you hire?
0: Yeah, so I would say um, definitely I like domain expertise. Maybe because, again, I'm just coming back to payroll and benefits, but domain expertise is good to have some domain expertise. And so it's great. And it's hard to find, you know, like – Tax, that's a pretty specialized area. So either it's great to have someone that's kind of like a classical PM and has a few years of you know product management under their belt, or it's good to have domain expertise, or it's great to have both, but sometimes you can't have both, and that's totally fine. That goes back to my your question about a high growth team. So again, diversity of experience is fine. But that's kind of how I, I usually size it up. And then I would say on the design side, it's really nice. Um, We just have a wonderful leader there. He has a ton of experience, and I think he's kind of stitched together a team of guys where, you know, men and women who have the aesthetic and, like, the experience kind of working in enterprise, but it's sort of with employee-friendly products, definitely, like, on-the-go type products, and he has some very senior leaders, and we also, you know, have some design associates who are just coming out of school so, and then I guess the last thing is someone who's just like hungry to take on more, you know, it's a startup and we have a huge product footprint. There's like so much opportunity for, you know, folks who really want to dig in. So I would say that's probably, you know, the last thing, just kind of hungry to take on more.
1: Awesome. Now, I wanted to go back to something, you know, you have, you have that venture background, you worked at SAP, you worked at Workday, you did your startup, you're now at Zenefits. You know, different environments, big companies, startups, smaller companies, venture capital. What did you like about each scenario or each environment? What did you like about the big companies versus the startups versus venture? I'd love to hear that.
0: Yeah, so what, what you like about big company, and it is for sure true, just like the initial training, you know, just like when I went to SAP right out of business school, I didn't know anything about software. i would never even heard of SAP. And so there's like some just classical training of like how you run a business, just like how things work. And it's great. And I always like to say, like the best jobs coming out of school for someone who's just coming out, you know, are like get into sales, like SDR, or BDR, get into sales, or maybe an account executive, like carry a bag, understand what it takes to make a cold call or sell or go into customer support, because you're getting the calls, you're getting the issues. And so it's just a great way to get close to the customer. So definitely big company, it's just good training ground. And I would say on the investor side, Always innovation. You're looking, you know, how do I get into this deal? What's hot? And then you understand what are the mechanics of a company? Because before you do an investment, you're doing all this due diligence. So you're looking at all aspects of the business, and it gives you a great overview of everything from how's the team structured, what do the financials look like, what's due diligence on the tech stack. So that's a great experience. The other thing on the venture side is you have a huge network. Because you're talking to like so many entrepreneurs, so many VCs, so a huge networking. You never lose that. It's with you for the rest of your life. And the last thing is, which cannot be underestimated is you have a portfolio of companies. You're sitting on a bunch of boards or you're a board observer, and you have the ability to observe them all and calibrate. And when I say calibrate, you have a playbook. You've seen it over and over again. So, you know, because you've seen it work before at this other company, now you're seeing it work here. So, you're not just in one company. You've got this whole universe of companies. You can benchmark them, and after a while, you start to see a playbook. And so, then that takes me to being an operator, you know, which is like what I do now. That playbook is, like, invaluable, Having a playbook, being able to go into a company now as an operator or even to start your own company, you know how it's done. It's always going to change a little bit. And like the pandemic that we're experiencing right now, there's always something that, you know out of the blue. But like in general, you know, like it's just like a recipe. You got the basics of what you need.
1: Awesome. And then I guess you just innovate a little on that recipe, right? The little freestyle cooking.
0: Well,
1: a little, or it could be a lot, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. So, yeah, I, lo- I love that. And, you know, thinking about the, just the, the breadth of experiences and how you can benchmark people against each other. And you see things that both have worked and didn't work at a breadth of companies, you know, when you're doing investment. And you can take that and kind of build your own, you know, cookbook, playbook set of recipes that you then take to, you know, your startup or, you know, your high growth uh, enterprise. Yeah, that's, that's pretty cool. Well, as we're getting to the last couple of questions here, I'd, I'd love to talk a little bit more about you. What's your favorite product?
0: Does it have to be like a, like a tech product? Or no, it,
1: it can be. I mean, it could be just about anything.
0: So I'm a big runner. So my favorite product is my Garmin watch.
1: Ah, why? Tell us why.
0: Well, because I love to run. It makes me happy. And it's kind of going back to, like, why I like regulated industries and stuff like that. It's like the time. It's the cadence. It's like, you know, you know exactly what's happening. And, yeah, it makes me feel good. And it's just, it's comfortable. It's like an old shoe. I think my other product actually is my Pendo, or my, not Pendo, my Peloton, my Peloton (laughs) bike. I just kind of discovered that now that I'm, like, inside all the time and uh, yeah that's another great product that's yeah I, great product.
1: I didn't realize how much I'd love my Peloton and I got it and there's something about the combination of instructors music the fact you can't really pause it it's just kind of going just the whole kind of connection of all these little things just come together to create just a great experience and, yeah, and I, the I really community. enjoyed it
0: I mean uh, yeah, and the yeah community. In the community. Yeah, you can take classes. You know, that were done a couple of weeks ago. But you see, like all the other writers from around the world who are in that class
1: yeah no I've, I've loved that and I'm sure when and some of the Pendo people listen to this they'll like you to Pendo would be that third favorite product or They would love to <laughs> that up.
0: So
1: hopefully that was you know foreshadowing of you know, know. your future I favorite Peloton. product I'm looking at your hat
0: it says Pendo <laughs> Yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> so one, one final question for you today uh, three words to describe yourself
0: I would say gritty resilient and optimistic
1: awesome well, thank you. This has been a great joy. I've, I've enjoyed it.
0: Well, thanks a lot. I really appreciate um, the invitation.